folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast. I'm Theory. And I'm Sense. And today, uh, we've prepared another grab bag for you guys. Free uh, candy! <laughs> we've got, uh, uh, harkening back to episode 7, we've taken some news stories from the last few weeks, few months, and assembled them together, and, uh, you know, we're just going to look at a potpourri of issues today. That's right, it's going to be a pinata that we're going to bust open all over the place, and candy no save that i dare you <laughs> but i'm uh, trying man I'm so trying. uh first things first uh we are going to talk about the martin Shkrish, uh shrecky that smug sh- dick sh- that you guys have seen all over the news yes. as the face of corporate greed in america absolutely martin martin Skrilli. yes yeah, something like shrecky i don't call him skrilla <laughs> uh he was sentenced on friday to seven years for uh, two counts of securities fraud and conspiracy to commit securities fraud. He was uh, apparently duping hedge funds and, and manipulating stock shares of pharmaceutical companies and just having a grand old time. It's about time someone got prosecuted for it, right? Might as well be <laughs> yeah. this dick face. Yeah. No, that's and, and that's the thing about this guy that, that makes it worse is like not only did he do this shit, but he's just a complete asshole. Yeah, he he's first a, came into the news. He was the guy that raised the price of uh, of some drug to treat HIV or something by some ridiculous amount from fifteen was, dollars uh, to eight hundred dollars a pill. It was or something. a drug Daraprim, which is an antiparasitic, and he took it overnight uh, from the price of thirteen dollars and fifty cents a pill to seven hundred and fifty dollars per pill. That to me is just ridiculous. And apparently there was nothing illegal about it. No, because no. uh, that's not what he's being charged for. But right, it's, right. it's really nice to see that smug bastard getting his comeuppance. Yeah, that is one of those things where, yeah, you can't technically touch him. And, and you know, I think uh, he tried to say that, uh, you know, that helped investment with his pharmaceutical company. Oh, I'm sure no, it dude, helped it's, investment it's, it's a money his, grab. I mean, his it's three vacation homes in his Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, this this asshole is actually also. Uh, the dude who bought the infamous uh, Wu Tang album, Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, that they uh, they just had the one copy of, and they auctioned. I think they auctioned it off. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And as if as if he wasn't already enough of an asshole, now you're going to take <laughs> the one copy of a Wu Tang album and be a complete douche about it. I mean, yeah. this guy would not let anyone hear it. He's not playing it for anyone. He he made social media posts well, like he, hanging it over people's heads. Yeah. And, well, he did. He did actually. I think he played a couple songs. Uh, he put a condition in there. He would play some of the album if Trump got elected. You <laughs> smug shit, you know? And then uh, then he said sure. he wasn't going to play it for anybody. And a particular note, he said, uh, like I said, uh, playing it for nobody. But if Taylor Swift wants to come over and suck my dick, I'll play it for her. What a fucking cocksucker. Oh, do you have I mean, strong opinions about I have that? a strong opinion. This is this is the line for me. As if, as if I wasn't tired of seeing his smug face plastered all over everything for months. Now he's talking about my girl. <laughs> now he's talking about my girl, Taylor Swift. Like, nah, dude, come on. I'm so happy to see him in, in, in jail. I, I hope he sits and rots. Seven years is nowhere near enough time for this guy. Yeah, no, that's... And I'm the, not the only one who feels this way. Well, no, absolutely. Actually, the uh, he could have been sentenced with up to 15 years. Uh, and he ended up getting seven. Now, I, I don't know you know, what the norm is for what he was charged with and, and what he got. You know, I, I know oftentimes when people tell you the maximum is this, yeah, but nobody ever gets the maximum. Yeah, know? where's your mandatory but minimums here? I huh? hope I hope that there was mitigating circumstances for how unrepentant he was. This guy basically walked around in the media and everything and, and just said, kiss my ass. Like, yep. yeah, I'm shitting on you. Screw you, you know? And, and I think is that's why, you know, I like judges having the discretion for sentencing. That is something I would take into account. If you're going to, you know, do us over and then like brag and boast about it, we're going to hit you a little bit harder, man. Yeah, yeah. should have been the should have been the maximum sentence, especially for the Taylor comment. Absolutely. Well, this guy uh, was definitely disliked by throngs of people. And that actually comes up in a very interesting way with this whole this whole thing. Um, the jury selection transcripts for this trial are amazing uh we have had no uh end to our fun reading through them and we'd actually like to uh perform some of the transcripts for you guys here today call this call this sense and theory masterpiece theater if hooray you will. Yeah. <laughs> this is gonna be fun though <laughs> all right uh so uh i will uh i will lead us out here i will be the court and uh since we'll be i'm gonna play the potential jurors all right uh so uh juror number one are you aware of the defendant I am aware of the defendant, and I hate him. I'm sorry? I think he's a greedy little man. 
Uh, jurors are obligated to decide the case based only on the evidence. Do you agree? I don't know if I could. I wouldn't want me on this jury. Uh, well, juror number one is excused. Uh, juror number 52. When I walked in here today, I looked at him, and in my head, that's a snake. Not knowing who he was. I just walked in, looked right at him, and that's a snake. Uh, so much for the presumption of innocence. Uh, juror number 144, tell us what you have heard. I uh, heard through the news of how the defendant changed uh, the price of a pill by upselling it. I heard he bought an album from the Wu-Tang Clan for a million dollars. The question is, have you heard anything that would affect your ability to decide this case with an open mind? Can you do that? Uh, I don't think I can, because he kind of looks like a dick. Uh, you are juror number 144, and we will excuse you. Uh, juror number 59, come on up. Your Honor, totally, he's guilty, and in no way can I let him slide out of anything. Uh, okay. Because Okay, is that your attitude towards anyone charged with a crime who has not been proven guilty? It's my attitude towards his entire demeanor, what he's done to people. Uh, all right, all right, we're going to excuse you, sir. And he disrespected the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> and he disrespected the Wu-Tang Clan. I love it. Man, juror, I'm, I'm going to tell you what, juror number 59, I don't know who you are, but God bless you. He deserves you. a medal. He's Thank a hero. Thank you for getting that into the record, man. Oh, that was great. <laughs> Wu-Tang uh, is not just for the children. Yeah, no. Uh, Wu-Tang, you know, they, they kind of cross the boundaries. They cross the divide, you know. Um, but yeah, no, this guy, you know, a lot of people said, you know, they didn't like him because of his face and stuff. And normally I don't. Uh, agree with you know making snap judgments on on levels like that, but I got to tell you, man, this guy did really sort of look like the basis for Smeagol in Lord of the Rings. I yeah, mean, when and he you fits the him, bill too. He, he does, man. Yeah, my precious, sitting there with his golden <laughs> state. He looks like a little goblin, you know. Yeah, rub, rubbing his hands together deep under the earth, like hoarding his his gold and and Wu Tang albums. Like, yeah, there there is uh, no sympathy for for Martin Shkreli uh, anywhere here. Smeagol never. Act asked anyone to suck his dick though in exchange no, for no Smeagol wouldn't disrespect Taylor Swift like that. That's right, <laughs> man. This Martin Shkreli guy represents just about everything that I see wrong with corporations in America: greed, smugness, dishonesty, um, and just overall being a general dick. Absolutely. Um, and you can you can see this attitude come up in a lot of places. Um, I know this guy is trying to sell his book. That says, uh, you know, $400 billion were fleeced out of American consumers by the telecom company for a broadband infrastructure we, we never received. Um, and, you know, that's something that's near and dear to my heart. I work on the Internet. I've, I've been an Internet addict since I was, you know, 15. And uh, I love it. And I really wish we had better Internet here. But unfortunately, America's like number 25 on the list of broadband yeah. access. You'd think for, for such a, you know... Uh, technologically advanced country, we'd be close to the list, at least one through five. Yeah. I mean, come on, but we've got like, you know, India beating beating the pants off of us for internet speed while our internet corporations are making record profits uh, because of their lobbying efforts. Right. Well, um, one of the things, actually, one of the things about that, and you absolutely, uh, you work with it every day, so you know far more about the internet and the state of the, the telecom game, as it were, uh, than I do. But I actually, I, I looked at uh, the dude selling the book about the $400 billion, and I had uh, I had some questions, man. I mean, like, when I, when I looked at it, it didn't seem to add up to what exactly he was portraying it to. Like, I see dishonesty, uh, you know, from the telecom companies. I see things that were promised that were never delivered. But I don't necessarily see... Uh, us being charged $400 billion for a fiber network that we never received. Well, I think, yeah, I think it's complicated because there are multiple layers to the problem. Um, you know, they've, the telecom companies have lobbied uh, for this, that, and the other. They have lifted caps on their services. So call waiting, call forwarding were capped. Um, and, and they uncapped him, so that was a way they could make extra profit. I think he's counting that money into the total. Oh, you mean you mean the the government un, the government uncapped? Yes, the government yeah. deregulated. The government deregulated uh, the telecom industry with the ninety six telecom right. bill, right? And 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 what they did was they took the the profit margins that you could make as a utility, I think, or fifteen percent. Yeah. So they uncapped it up to thirty percent. Yep. And they allowed them these charges, you know, call waiting, call forwarding that were really hot, especially in the 90s that they could make. And, That's right. And deregulated the industry. And overall. he's counting that as, as charging the consumer. And I guess you can quibble there and, and 
you know, and argue semantics. So, well, it's not it's not really charging the consumer. And it's, it, it's not, but we paid for it. No, I mean, it's it's charging the consumer for sure. But I mean, I don't I don't think that's the the only quibble with the number. I mean, on one hand, you have him saying that, you know, so you've got this $400 billion number and he's saying that, you know, through, and I think largely through the telecommunications act is the argument he's making. These fees were levied upon us for this, this fiber network. Yeah. Well, in actuality, those, those fees were levied upon us because of the, the deregulation was enabled and those fees, that money actually ultimately did go towards the mobile and wireless networks that they built. Well, yes. some money went, but nowhere right. near as much as was promised. I mean, in some markets, well, yeah. they promised $16 billion and spent one. Yeah. Um, we didn't get fiber. We got uh, ADSL over over copper phone lines. So mm-hmm. that actually did not require much of an infrastructure upgrade. You know, we're talking about installing fiber optic lines versus uh, some, some equipment that handles the DSL signal, you right. know, in your one location. Um, not not rolling out a new network, and uh, you know the the extent of this of this fraud is 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 deep. I mean, we had lobbyists saying, you know, we'll do this, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got uh, you've got specific promises to the F- FCC that might or might not have been met. You know, I'm not a lawyer; I can't look through it and decide right. whether they met their contractual obligation. Well, I but, think largely, at least my, the public promises they they didn't meet a slew of them. And my whole thing is like. We expect in in a functioning um, in a functioning economy, we expect the market uh, to compensate for things. So, mm-hmm. in in a world without monopolies, companies have to have to improve their infrastructure in order to draw other customers. Right. So, right. if I provide a faster internet for for a decent price, then mm-hmm. customers are going to come to me. Well. You know, this in the 90s, we were coming out of the era of Ma Bell, where we had just split up Ma Bell into, you know, 20 different companies. Right. And and infrastructure was not really improving either. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you had AT&T wanting to swallow all these companies back up into it. Right. Um, so the FCC did approve some giant, giant mergers. You know, mm-hmm. and we saw AT&T swallow, swallow the babies of, of Ma Bell, mm-hmm. you know, in even bigger entities. And and meanwhile, we raised their caps from 15 percent to 30 percent. So, like, mm-hmm. we have just taken a full U-turn to me on on on, you know, antitrust and, and monopoly issues and, and just handed it back to him wrapped in a giant bow. Yeah. Um, and and the and the worst part to me is that they defrauded. I feel like they defrauded the consumer and and the taxpayer by selling it to our representatives as as this big infrastructure, you know, agreement that, yeah. that really never happened. Well, I again because like, we're still number twenty five. If it had happened, I mean, they they said they would put it in libraries and schools first. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's like that's cutting to the core there, man. Yeah, and actually, that's one of the things that troubles me is how uh, I guess with the fiber they have laid. I mean, there there is. There is quite a bit of fiber, right, across there the country. There is some. Um, I would not say quite a bit of fiber. Ah, uh, okay. Google has been trying to get fiber in cities in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, they've they've landed in a couple places. They've had some real trouble in other places because um, the infrastructure is is a joint partnership owned by the you know the government. We've leased it back to the companies. It's it's really complicated and it's different in every area. Mm-hmm. So some places, um, you know, it's a public network. But in some places, like I think Nashville, you actually have to ask the the telecom company permission to go up on the pole and run your own lines. Right. So they're able to do things like say, uh, well, we'll talk to you in three months. You know, they don't have any real guidelines in some places. Mm-hmm. So a company, you know, AT&T owns the lines. Google wants to come run fiber. They need access to the poles. And AT&T can just kind of shrug their shoulders and go, oh, it's stuck in red tape. We'll see you in six months. Yeah. And then six months later, go, oh, well, we're having problems here. And we'll see you in eight months. You know, it's it's a real it's a real nightmare. And it's really complicated because every area has different ag- agreements. I know yeah. here in Lexington, we've had a lot of uh, of, of fuss about our franchise agreement uh, with our inter- our main cable provider, which there's there's only one, um, and and they've they've raised their fees and stuff, and people are saying it's against the franchise agreement. I don't know. The whole thing is just is so complicated. You can't even really get involved in the conversation and and have a knowledgeable conversation because it's too deep. Yeah, it's too deep. I well, mean, we we had trouble figuring out what was going on here. 
because you know who's going to read through the whole telecommunications act right, right to figure out the specific stipulations like right well no i think i think you're right in that there are a host of issues all around when i was doing some reading uh i came across uh, i guess in san francisco there are uh independent you know telecommunications companies who are you know ready to do the fiber or lay the fiber but because of the barriers that the city has actually put up, uh, they just can't do it. It's not cost effective. Right. I mean, uh, I guess the guy said, if I remember the quote correctly, if I charged what the city of San Francisco, uh, what I would have to charge to meet the city of San Francisco's obligations is basically like $200 a month. Yeah. Prices go right and, out of and, the game. And yeah. And I think, uh, what is it? Chattanooga uh, put in their own uh, fiber and it's down to $70 a month now. But yeah. like when they first did it, um, and that was the city of Chattanooga actually like, you know, paid for having their own fiber installed. Good in for the them. City. That's yeah, what we yeah. need. I- um, but when they first, you know, kicked it off, it was something like, you know, it was $700 a month for the first two months. You right. know what I mean? And that's so- crazy. And, 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 and funnily enough, as much as I hate Ajit Pai, um, you know, Trump's chairman of the FCC, mm-hmm. one of the things people said when, when he dismantled net neutrality was that it opened up this space for small internet providers to get into the game because a lot of the the paperwork and a lot of the the costs that were associated with with setting up and and, and talking to the government getting approved and all that uh, those barriers were going to be gone. So I, I read it's just an anecdote, but I read about a guy who was going to set up a, a rural network, um, basically high speed wireless uh, in a place that had really no no access to internet, and he was able to make a profit at like fifty customers. Um, at like 50 bucks a month or something. And I'm thinking like, okay, so if, if we get more small internet providers, that's, that's a good thing. And, and some of the protections of net neutrality, um, aren't really needed in an open market, in a free market. You know, some of the protections of of net neutrality are, are there because of the monopolistic nature uh, of the telecom industry. So I thought that was just a really interesting kind of, you know, mirror side of an mm-hmm. issue I normally would be on hard on one side of, you know, in favor yeah. of net neutrality. But, uh, you know, maybe there's something to the other side. We get a bunch of well, uh, startups and there's, there's something else I wanted to ask you because I, I think, I think it'll benefit, you know, listeners at home, or at least I hope it will if they're like me. Um, so when I started reading about this, I, I don't, um, we obviously, we want the, we'd like to have the best possible, you know, service or what have you, but like, what is why is a fiber optic network so important? I mean, think about it. Everything we do today is is based on the internet, from our entertainment um, to our our learning. I mean, kids are using uh, the internet for everything. I do a lot of data transfer, and it is excruciatingly slow. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's difficult and and very expensive to get a really high speed connection in both directions. Like. Uh, Upload speed is is absurdly limited in most cases, um, so that that directly limits business uses. Like if I'm trying to uh, offload a bunch of data that I have in in an office mm-hmm. uh, to a server farm somewhere, and my upload speed is you know half a meg a second, uh, then I'm dead in the water. You know, and my right. only choice is to go, hey, uh, you know, arbitrarily increase my upload speed here, would you, buddy? Oh, sure, for 182 dollars a month. You know, because yeah. now your your business user, yada yada yada. Um, I, your porn comes faster. I mean, that's a benefit I think everyone can get behind, um, you know, loading on, on net, who wants to buffer a Netflix video? Um, you know, with, with a hundred megabytes. That's that's my question though. I mean, like how much faster? I mean, like, well, it's a matter of, so, so the typical 10 megabyte per second connection is probably good enough for one user, maybe two users streaming Netflix, uh but you add a couple more users, you add folks on their phone. Um, all of a sudden that 10 megabytes per second is, is super congested. Like right. at a hundred megs, uh, coming in and, and going out, the average user would just be flying. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's, that's where it is. I mean, go to, go to some other countries and you'll see their internet is, is crazy fast. Um, you would notice the difference just browsing the web, you know, right. pages load faster, et cetera, et cetera. And, and to me, the, the, there's some nastiness involved here because in a functioning economy, companies have have reason to invest in infrastructure where we're at today um at&t swallowing up all these companies and and everyone knows think about how much if there's any true competition in your market the answer is no i mean we've got telecom companies 
that have have knowingly entered into agreements where they would stay out of each other's territory Mm -hmm. and say, hey, you take over here, I'll take over here. It's supposed to be illegal. Nothing's ever done about it, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, this 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 monopolistic thing going on, just just it just ruins ruins everything. I don't know why I do. I'll I'll say this. While I agree with you in, in so much as monopolies absolutely ruin everything. And the trend that we're seeing with um, the telecommunications companies um, is definitely in that direction. Um, my, my question about as far as companies pouring into infrastructure. So the accepted number is that the telecom industry is pouring about 15% of their profits back into infrastructure. Now we can question, you know, what infrastructure they're spending on or, or whatever. But what I'm saying is what, uh, how do you feel about that number? Uh, I, I don't know. And, and the number is irrelevant to me. I would posit back. Do you know anyone who would not want faster Internet right now? Is there a strong I, market demand for faster Internet? I, I don't I mean, I might be an aberration, but I didn't realize that we had slow Internet. Really? Yeah. You've never had a video buffer. You've never um, um, had a slow download. Not, not to the not to the point of frustration, I guess. I mean, like what would would, I mean? That's not, not you're, years. you're an oddity because the rest think about the yeah. rest of America faster, better, bigger. I've ne- but I've been I've never even like been to someone's house and like seen and them 4G go to play was YouTube. A, 4G was a big deal. You but know I'm saying I've never selling seen 5G now. Like I the market you. is demanding faster. Well, speeds, but I mean, that's no kind of, of course, we always want faster. Speeds. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that we don't already, you know, have the technology to provide it or whatever. I'm just saying I've never been to somebody's house and then, you know, gone to play a YouTube video. And I'm like, oh, geez, we got to wait. 20 seconds. I mean, okay. I mean, yeah. like what? I mean, you know, I, I don't Fair know enough. what the I big mean, 56K thing is. modems would work if we had to use them. My point is that the, the technology's out there um, and being used across the world. Uh, it's it's more reliable. It's faster. Uh, there's no there's no reason not to, except that they can milk the shit out of us. I mean, you, yeah. you go anywhere else and, and for $40 a month, you get 100 meg up and down. Mm-hmm. Here, it's $60 a month if you're lucky and it's 10 meg up and and sometimes are down and and sometimes not up sometimes half of that or a third of that up Hmm. um it's just crazy to me uh it you know whether we need it or not you know i don't need a new ferrari but plenty of people want to go buy ferraris you know they want to drive fast we're just we're not allowed to here and we're gouged for it if 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 you're lucky enough to be in an area where fiber is available typically you're gouged for it although that's changing a little bit we do have some small fiber rollout from like verizon and um you know fios and and google fiber is in a couple places so yeah uh my problem is that they you know, they made all these grandiose promises and, and none of our lawmakers took them to task and held them accountable for it. Maybe they couldn't. I told you, know, I totally maybe get their that. If there's something tied. to nail them on, then by all rights, we should nail them on. And we've got to reverse the Are we going to ask like the ex head of the ex CEO of Verizon to, you know, punish Verizon though? That's, that's where I get, mm-hmm. that's where we get into the swamp talk. And well, no, I mean like, so if, know, if, if they've committed uh, if there is a, a legal mechanism by which they've committed to something that they haven't given us, then by all means, I want to make them give it to sure, us. Sure, but what if the fox is running the hen house? Like, what? you know, that's pretty much what we've got the fox running the hen house. You got Ajit Pai, the ex, uh, what, CEO of, of Verizon, in charge of FCC decisions. So, well, yeah, but I mean, he's not like the illustrious potentate of the American government. I no, mean, like, but come on, he's not he's not crippled either. No, you know? but I mean, like, there's there's other ways to enforce that without going through a jeep pie. Like, he's not the sole gatekeeper to enforcing things. On that's true, but he sets the tone. Come on, that's why he's that's why he's at the head. Uh, he's the head of the executive department. But again, I mean, like, I can get laws passed uh, regarding the army without Mattis's approval. Oh, that's true. I mean, you know what I mean? I, 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 he's important, no doubt. And his appointment definitely did set the tone for what this administration's opinion was towards it. And I absolutely think that that, that opinion is very clear. I'm not, I'm not arguing with you there at all. No quarter for our enemies. Absolutely. I say hang them, <laughs> hang them high in the public square, man. Yeah. Messing with my internet. Uh, okay. In a hard, in a hard uh, 90 degree turn, let's uh, go to someone who may be doing things right. Of course, maybe they're not doing things right. But on its face, it would seem like a, a good thing. Germany is uh, in their in their move to renewable energy sources um, in in off demand hours. They're actually producing too much electricity. And in many cases, consumers are getting credits on their bills 
for uh, energy that they use. I'm sure Bitcoin miners are having a field day. <laughs> Wait till off hours. Crank on the miner and start start getting paid for the electricity to, to mine your Bitcoins. It sounds lovely. Yeah. Uh, the, man, the thing about this story with, with Germany is I I don't know, man. I'm having a hard time like the the unanimity with which it's like just hails a victory like do you see what germany did oh germany's like almost they're they're almost 100 percent renewable and, and all this stuff and, and they are it's uh, yeah <laughs> but there's some huge caveats and problems with uh what germany is doing and 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 you know where they're heading they decided after the fukushima incident that they were going to shut down all their nuclear power plants by 2022 like so uh, in order to do that, they're shifting largely over to uh, wind power. I think they have some solar farms. Wind and wind, solar. Wind yep. is kind of the bulk of those two renewables. They're also using, uh, you know, uh, natural gas and uh, wood, which oddly enough, I found out <laughs> in, in setting up for this story, I found out that people count wood as a renewable energy source. And that's going to come into play uh, here later on with a, with a comment I have to make on that. But anyway, um, so they're putting in all these giant wind farms and they're creating a whole host of problems. Like, for instance, most of the wind that Germany has that they can harness for electricity takes place in the north, right? In the northern part of the country. Well, they don't have the infrastructure yet to bring that power down to the south. Right. And in wanting to build all that infrastructure, people are, you know, up in arms. They're protesting. You've got um, not only people, you know, with the whole NIMBY thing, not in my backyard, but, you know, also uh, uh, ecological impacts. And Wind stuff farms like that. are not particularly nice on the eye, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And that's another problem. They, they uh, really, you just got these huge barren spaces with these giant wind farms. And some people were even, I, I think that's a silly argument to an extent, but, you know, people were talking about its impacts on tourism. Right. You know? And that's, I mean, that's something you got to consider. At the same time, when you're weighing uh, the possible nuclear devastation of your populace, you know, yeah. at some point you got to make a concession. But I don't know. What I've heard is that, uh, you know, nuclear plants melting down are like, infinitesimally small possibility. Well, we're basically looking at three separate incidents, right? We're looking at Fukushima, Three Mile Island, and Chernobyl. Yeah. I mean, not to say that there weren't, uh, I believe there was a close call at a nuclear power plant in California or... Any idea how many plants we've got in operation on the planet? I mean, oh, are there I'm thousands? I'm not sure. I'm not... Uh, I don't hundreds? know if it's thousands. Probably, I would think hundreds, maybe even less. Maybe, you know, maybe it's like 50s or something. I know France is like almost exclusively nuclear. Um, so, you know, with Chernobyl, you've got, you've got old school Soviet, uh, safety measures and I'm just going to leave that. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't remember exactly, uh, you know, what the issue was at, uh, three mile Island, but I know it was again, related to an easily correctable safety. Measure. Sure. And then Fukushima, uh, they weren't ready for a 40 foot tall wave. They right. weren't, they should have been. And I would even say, hey, what is the wisdom of building nuclear power plants directly on the ring of fire? You know, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe that's a bad but, idea. But at the same time, like there's an inherent risk. I mean, we don't know where all earthquakes are going to happen. You right, know, who right. knows what's going to happen? You know, right. lightning so, strikes, mudslides. So we've been we've been spooked, I think, on nuclear. And I'm not sure if it's rightly so. I mean, I'm not you know, I'm not going to come out and say, absolutely, we should be shifting over into nuclear. But here's one thing I am going to say. A lot of people have problems with what we're doing with renewable energy, right? And and sometimes they're called climate change deniers or, you know, they're, they're called this and that. And there are outlandish conspiracies out there, okay? But I want to separate that for a second. I am in no way saying that global warming isn't happening. I am saying there are serious issues with wind power. Yeah. Okay? And with many forms. And one of those issues is like... that and. This speaks directly to what's happening in Germany. They're having a problem storing the energy. So, and, and that's why they're they're crediting people on these off peak hours because the generators are humming, 
And, you know, the electricity is being generated. If no one uses it, it's just a total and complete waste. So I think we're starting to solve some of these problems as time goes on. Like Tesla's come out with these giant, these giant batteries that can store massive and massive amounts of charge. You know, maybe that's an answer. Maybe we build huge battery banks. Of course, you got to think about the environmental implications of the battery banks. You got to think about the environmental consequences of, of production of the batteries. Well, and while we are solving some of the issues, but then at the same time, there issues that we aren't going to be able to solve i think there's a there's a principle and i think it's called a belks limit or belts limit something like that first i've heard of it and it is basically it's a principle that says that there is only uh uh there is a certain level of efficiency that you can get from a wind turbine and it is it is a hard cap right like no matter how you build a wind turbine you're only going to be able to get this much well already the best wind turbines that we have in the world are at like 85, 90% um, of that limit. And they produce, you know, a a negligible, like for instance, I I read that to keep up simply with the increase in demand every year for wind turbines, um, I'm sorry, for electric, the the new demand that we place on electric every year, we would have to build something like almost 400,000 wind. Well, that doesn't seem undoable to me. Although, where are they going to go? Start thinking Who's about backyard? the space they take <laughs> Who's up. Backyard, you know what I mean. And and they've got to be in strategic locations to serve demand. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a you know that's a problem. We got yeah. wind wind power that needs to be delivered to cities. Well, they got to go fairly close to the cities, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. And then you you also get into uh, they're just like slaughtering like birds and bats and. And right? you know what I mean? Yeah, no, uh, the bird. I mean, they're, they're talking about maybe coming up with these like deflection measures, but wind turbines like just cleave eagles <laughs> and birds and bats. And it's getting to the point, you know, bats are important. I mean, so we're looking at a situation where it's it's like the bees, right? We're worried about the bees disappearing. Right. Well, you know, we start throwing up all these wind turbines and severely impacting the bat population. Then the mosquitoes start coming up. You know what I mean? It's almost like there is an intricate balance. It's like a game of whack-a-mole. And every time you smack one, it pops up somewhere. It's, it's almost like there's this universal balance of suffering that mm-hmm. has to play out. And, and anywhere we pressure it. Uh, to try to alleviate that that suffering or lay off of a future disaster, it just pops up behind us, man. Yeah, it's, no, it does. It does. It doesn't. Really you damned if you do, and you damned if you don't. You know. Yeah. And it's uh, I don't I don't know. One of the really what gets me about Germany is that they are still relying on uh, the electricity of their neighbors, uh, but it's being kind of sold to us as if. You know, like I said, they're going to be 100% renewable. They're looking at a pretty serious energy crisis. Right. And in fact, if they didn't have the very unique ability to tap into their nine neighbors, you know, I read somebody said if if we were talking about Britain, they wouldn't be able to keep up with the electricity. Because Britain (laughs) can't go to its nine neighbors and be like, hey, let me get some electric from your coal burning power plant. You know what I mean? So so you're saying Germany is still relying on outside power in a lot of cases. Yes. And and while they're touting 99% or whatever percentage of uh, renewable energy and charging they're their, actually buying yeah oh energy. and no and get this when they actually when the uh when the wind turbines overproduce which they often do oh yeah sometimes uh, i think i read as high as triple demand yeah they actually have to pay their neighbors to take the excess electricity because that puts a strain on their grids Having that electricity. That's you're, you're right. Man. I know it's crazy. Because you'd think but, like you'd think by now we'd have we'd just be able to suck it all up and store it somewhere. Yeah. You but, know? Well, yeah, no, you uh, the <laughs> battery thing capacitors or something. The huh? battery thing is, is hugely crucial because even though it does, it feels counterintuitive, right? You're thinking, well, well, I mean, damn, they gotta pay them to take it. But I want you to think about Belgium and then I want you to think about Germany. They have triple Germany's power requirement. Right. And they're like, here, Belgium, take it. Just turning off the reactors ain't enough, which you can't, you know, you can't just turn off. Oh, the I'm reactor, sure. Yeah, I'm right. sure the cost so, of that would be so. So they have to find ways to, to offshoot that electricity and it creates, you know, a host of issues. And we're trying to combat a host of issues on the other side. So one of the big reasons for this push for renewable energy um, is because of, you know, global warming and ice falling into the ocean. And, you know, we've got predicted, some people are predicting, you know, eight foot sea level rises in, in, in the coming 50 years, some are saying 20 years, you know, some yeah. are saying one foot, three feet. Um, so, but I think everyone is in agreement that sea levels are absolutely rising. 
Yes, let me. Um, let ice me, is falling into the ocean. Let me. Let me clear. Let me clearly state my position on that really quick. Um, yes, global warming is absolutely happening. It's it's caused by man. Uh, the sea levels are going to rise. They absolutely are. However, that eight foot number can kiss my ass right now. Okay. <laughs> now I'm not saying I, I'm completely willing. You know that that was based off scientific research that was conducted within the last. Uh, You're a climate of change denier. Here it comes. And that, a Nazi. That was. That is that is one of the the favorites, right? The climate change deniers. There are people out there that insist that there's no such thing as global warming, and there are silly people who ought to have the shit slapped out of them. You know what I mean? It's happening. The preponderance of, of data shows that it's happening. The problem is, is that not every single one of the claims that they make is unfounded and baseless, right? And and this is a perfect chance. This this godforsaken eight foot number is a perfect chance to kind of illustrate that, right? So when you actually look at the data, there is an array of predictions about how high the sea level is going to rise by 2100. It spans from six inches to eight feet. Okay. <laughs> that, that is a, That's a world of difference. That is a wide swath, right? <laughs> um, most people, most of the, uh, how should I put it? Most of the climatologists are pretty confident about one meter, which is about three. Um, so they put in the, the next, uh, 80 years or something by uh, 2100, right. Yeah. right. But there's a couple of caveats, um, that come along with that. The first thing you have to understand is that these models are factoring on us either a, well, they all at least factor on us having the exact same level of carbon emissions that we do now. And some of these models factor on a doubling of that or a quadrupling of that as they try to take into account expanding industry and developing countries and so right on and, and so existing forth. levels have been pretty stable recently um, yeah well right? actually what we found is uh there's a study that says you know whereas the global economy has grown 6.3 percent um over the last few years uh emissions have not risen so it looks like we kind of round we may have rounded the bend on decoupling uh, carbon emissions from, from the, the growth world, of, yeah, world so economy. We don't absolutely need carbon to boost the economy. Right. And that's, that's a good thing. That's if, if, if true again, you know, all of this, and that's the other thing about climatology, all of this requires more research. It is so complex. That's right. The, the, the earth's environment and climate that it all bears more research. Yeah. Go listen to the weather channel and tell me how accurate the, the weather report is on any, any given day. <laughs> we can't even tell you if it's going to rain tomorrow. Heck we're in Kentucky. You can't tell if it's going to snow or yeah. uh, be 80 degrees out. You'd be able to jog in your shorts. <laughs> well, and just like, and it'll make your head spin like reading about um, what constitutes which ice shelf uh, are we talking about the water underneath it? Are we talking about the water freezing in the air above it? Does the fact that the Antarctic ice shelf is growing and the Arctic ice shelf is shrinking, what does that mean? Right. Once the and, ice shelf falls into the ocean, where does it shift to? How right. fast does it melt? Right. Yeah, there's, a, there's a host of questions and, and yeah. none of us are climatologists, but yeah. the overwhelming evidence points to yes, it's mm -hmm. warming up. Ice is falling in the ocean. They're going to rise. Now, I did I did some plan. Noah has a tool um, for exploring uh, sea level rise and how it'll affect the world. They've got kind of a world map, and you can adjust the sea level and see. Uh, I did some plan at three feet, man. Uh, New Orleans is underwater. Yeah, absolutely. New Orleans is completely underwater. Yeah, well, and, New Orleans is barely not underwater Anyway, yeah, you know, because it'd be well because of the way that New Orleans sits. But yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely Miami is actually probably the I think I read that it is the city that's in the biggest amount of danger will have the highest impact uh, as far as like when you look at size of the city and potential danger. Like right. Miami is screwed. I read you know? that uh, if sea levels rise by six feet, around 12 million people in the United States would be displaced. And the world's mm -hmm. most vul vulnerable megacities uh, like Shanghai, Mumbai, Ho Chi Minh City could be wiped off the map. Right. Completely. Right. I mean, and that's that's, you know, that's hyperbolic. The six feet, six feet rise is has a very low chance of happening. I think all of the reasonable estimates are like between one to three feet. Well, let me let me let me try to show you you know, kind of what, what I was highlighting there. So when we hear, you know, the, the quote unquote climate deniers say, you know, it's garbage and da, 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 da. So there was a slew of articles when that research came out that said, you know, eight feet. Right. And they had headlines like sea level rise estimate grows alarmingly higher in latest federal report. Uh, <laughs> scientists, scientists nearly double sea level rise projections for 2100 because of Antarctica. 
and and they're right. Okay, that that is technically true, and the, the scientists themselves will come out and say, you know, we're looking at this, and you know, the doomsday quotes. You know, and right. I'm not I'm not saying that it's not serious. It's something we got to look at. But when I scan down into the lower paragraphs of that article. Uh, the authors of the study determined that the worst case rise of more than eight feet has only a 0.1% chance of occurring by 2100, even under a business as usual emissions scenario. Uh, but a rise of more than 1.5 feet is near uh, certain with high emissions. So there's so many things going on there. For one, there's a 0.1% chance that that eight feet even happens. Right. right? Um, now that's under... You know, that's the percentage of chance it has if we stabilize at the emissions we have now or lessen. You know, I like if we lessen that, that chance gets even smaller. Then they say, oh, well, we're sure there's going to be a 1.5 feet rise with higher emissions. Well, you weren't talking about higher emissions a second ago. You were talking about business as usual emissions. Right. Like there's, but I, I think there's some there's some angles there we have to consider though, especially when you've got like Trump walking away from, uh, you know, walking away from global deals and stuff about carbon emissions. Like we know this is a problem. Yeah. Uh, let's let's face it down. You know what I'm well, saying? Well, and I don't I don't take that's why I actually I cut the scientists some slack. Like I get it. They they have to. There is something to be said for they have to make their problem look sexy so that people will care. Well, about and it. they have to consider the worst case scenario too, or they're not yeah, doing well, their job. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, the, the media, on the other hand, running the most hyperbolic, alarmist <laughs> position possibly, you know, I guess they have to do which that. Which we've never discussed before. <laughs> they have to do that to keep their numbers up. But man, we gotta, we gotta not, we gotta not pay attention to that. And and to me, this whole idea that that you know, man is somehow separate from nature and we're causing this problem. To me, that's absurd. I mean, things have happened in the world. How we used to be Pangea. Right, right. You know, uh, there's no separation of, of man from nature. So the whole system of ev evolution in that, um, you know, life evolves to uh, to deal with 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 problems and things, mm -hmm. you know, like I don't, I don't see how you can separate. I have an enormous amount of faith in, in not only the natural system that we live in, but humanity um, to correct the course somehow. And that's not to say yeah. we shouldn't do anything. Well, I think, I think to highlight kind of what you're getting at, I read uh, an interesting little side note and, and admittedly I didn't, you know, get real deep into this one. It's just something that I saw, but um, a guy was, you know, he was saying that even if, you know, we shut down all our carbon emissions, right. And, and, you know, we're not arguing about whether or not we're past the point of no return. Let's say we shut down all our carbon emissions and that staved off. We knew that that would stave off global warming, right? There's still like all these other issues that occur in the natural world that would be there regardless. Like for instance, trees evolved uh, uh, tree bark faster than fungus figured out how to process tree bark. Okay. So there's this layer in the earth of all these dead trees and a built up CO2 that was never digested and processed by the fungi. So you So could what get, you're saying is there's large stores of CO2 under the crust of the earth that are just waiting for an earthquake to be released in mass right and into which, the atmosphere which you know could be severe enough to start the process up again. Now, how likely is it? I have no idea. Like I said, I just kind of I glanced at that. <laughs> the point the point that I think it makes though is that this is something that's come up on us and we have to deal with it. If we can stop it by cutting our carbon emissions, then by all means, let's, let's cut them down to as low as we possibly can. Um, but at the same time, I think we have to not uh, get ahead of ourselves, kind of like I feel like Germany did, you know, to an extent. And we need to make sure that we're, we're, we're looking at the cost and the benefit, right? Because, I mean... If we're talking about a one foot sea rise and it dis displacing the coastline of America, that's a huge problem. That's something that we got to figure out. But I also don't know that in the next 70 years, I won't figure out a new seawall that will handle that one foot sea sure. rise. I also don't know, you know, so we if some natural occurrence is going to push us over the edge and cause the sea rise right. anyway. So is the impact of us on our quality of life of us like just like, oh, my God, cut all the carbon is the impact of that worth the potential benefit that we get? You know what I mean? You have to find that place where it evens out, I think. <laughs> I don't think we ever get to know. Well, no, I, I, think, I think you can reasonably predict. And I'll, and I'll tell you something else. You don't really have an option. Because 
There, you tell me how you intend to keep China or India or any of those countries from shooting for the same quality of life that we've enjoyed for the last hundred years. Sure, we can ask them. We can, you know, enter, can into, enter into global agreements, agreements and, and stuff like that. But unless you're willing to send the military into China or India, at the end of the day, there's no way to force them. And your argument kind of sucks anyway. Your argument that, hey, man, you know, we got all these Big Macs and sneakers and shit, but, you know, y'all y'all keep doing your thing. <laughs> what, what are y'all doing? Burning wood for heat and stuff? You know, so. Which actually, yeah, uh, really quickly to touch back on that, because I had forgot to mention it. Uh, when reports say that the, the world is using 15% renewable energy or 30% renewable energy, I want you to know that they include people living in huts burning wood to cook with Holy that that shit. is held right next to wind power <laughs> and solar power as people using renewable energy for heat and cooking i think i mean my my ultimate point of view on on renewable energy versus nuclear versus whatever man if the sun is is pumping out megawatts we're dumb to not use them like we That's should true. be focusing as hard as we can on harnessing the energy that already exists, but efficiently is yeah, all I, efficiently, is, is all I would add is, is all I would add. And let's not, let's not like, you know, blind ourselves. Let's not cut nuclear out to spite our face is what I'm saying. Let's also you know what I mean? not cut, you know, portions of the budget that are, that are, you know, pushing towards solar and things. Cause that, yeah. you know, that money helps the technologies expand and helps push us towards greater efficiency. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. They do. And I, we all know how I feel about tariffs. <laughs> and uh, that solar panel tariff can can kiss my ass as well, right up there with Martin Scritchy or whatever his name was. Um, I did see. I did see. Actually, there was an article that said uh, that maybe that'll help us push to uh, go into space faster. Yeah, and I, I'm all for, dude. I'm all for space exploration, man. Yeah, I think yeah. if 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 we're looking at an eventual future where the globe is going to melt down, which I think in pretty much all cases on a long enough timeline, yeah, we're, we're out of here at some point. It makes sense to me to invest as much as possible of our effort and attention into getting off this rock and finding another one that can support us. I mean, and it's, you know, if we're the ones causing it, that gosh, we're, we're a virus, you know, <laughs> and let's go, let's go yeah. destroy another one, but not really in the, <laughs> in the unit, in the universal scope of things. Uh, it just makes sense, man. We got to get off this rock. We got to go somewhere else. And yeah. thank God that you know private companies are are taking up the flag and yeah. And no, that's you know, actually moving the goalposts. I was good. thinking about that this morning, you know, in preparation for the show and everything. And like one of the things that I like is <laughs> not to say that I don't have legitimate criticisms, but I like the way that like we've kind of gone at NASA. Um, I think the idea of us funding NASA and exploring to the, the best capabilities of NASA, doing the six moon landings that we did, doing all the shuttle missions that we did. But then when the moon landings weren't producing results, we stopped. Yeah. And then when the shuttle missions were, you know, somewhat dangerous and no longer cost effective uh, for what we were getting on return, we stopped. And now the the private industry being able to enter is 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 kind of pissing NASA off. And NASA's chomping at the bit to get back their funding and stuff. So I think like space, um, we're we're getting right now. I think we got it right for the wrong reasons. Sometimes we <laughs> sometimes we cut NASA back farther than I would have. Right. You know what I mean? And 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 that varies and fluctuates. But I mean, largely, I'm I'm pretty happy with the space. You know where we're at with space, man. I, I'd like to get these ion engines going. You know, wouldn't I, that be uh, nice? <laughs> some uh, some warp drive technology uh, or something. Yeah, that would be sweet. I, I do like that they keep uh, uh, letting kids like right in there. Um, send in like their suggestions and stuff. If you ever if no, you get a chance to look through those, man, those are great. Like NASA puts up uh, where these little kids send them letters with their drawings of how they get a warp engine to go. <laughs> and NASA like almost always answers back with like this, like serious letters. Like, well, we've taken it under consideration. Don't you just collapse we the gravity in front of the ship and create some kind of cavitation bubble that, uh, I have, uh, you're, you're going to have to ask our buddy Pedro cause I have not watched enough Star Trek for that. I'm just uh, trying to sound smart, man. Leave yeah. me alone. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what we could do is, uh, we could ask our alien overlords, uh, once they arrive for the answers <laughs> that they're using, you know? And, uh, I think they are probably up there watching and, you know, I'm, 
I used to not, I used to be a denier, you know, I've never seen a UFO. No one I know has ever seen a UFO. You know, no one's been abducted, but man, after I saw the prophet Yahweh video on ABC news, mm. uh, I kind of changed my tune, man. Yeah. That was, that's, that's the one, uh, that convinces me that they are out there. Indeed. Um, uh, this was just kind of a, a mind blowing segment. You know, the reporter, said, oh, we're going to go meet this guy at a place that he decided at a time that he decided. And he says he's going to summon a UFO for us, you know, and they go yeah. out there and uh, he starts chanting and praying, not chanting. He's praying, you know, asking the aliens to to show us a sign and show us that they're here. And all of a sudden, what do you see? Clear as day is a little <laughs> orb, you know, floating around, flying around. And and the, the reporter even calls his boss. You know, they kept it in the segment. He's like, I think I got a change in. In the story here, yeah, he no, actually that was, summoned. A UFO. That was my favorite part. He was like, uh, "Boss, uh, we're gonna have to change it up" because he totally thought this guy was bullshit, man. And uh, but yeah, no, you can see it now. I do wonder. They do. I think that was in Las Vegas. So you do have, you know, you got an Air Force base. You got there. Area Fifty One. And, and he flew off. The guy said he flew off in the direction of Nellis Air Force Base. You know, <laughs> yeah, they said we yeah. tried to contact Nellis Air Force Base and yeah. asked for a comment. They did not answer our request. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I mean, somebody could could probably make a case for experimental, you know, whatever. But I I don't think it matters. The idea that there's not aliens is is batshit insane to me. Well, it goes straight to Fermi's paradox, which is that if if life is so prolific and the universe is so infinite, where is all the life? You know, everywhere yeah. we look. There's no life, there's no life, there's no life. Which which I think if you take that at, at like face value, you know, what it's saying there, it's incredibly arrogant. Like, <laughs> like okay, I mean, I, I have seen enough Star Trek to know that the Klingons had cloaking technology, right? So no, but I mean, think about it. Why would we assume that whatever we have is the pinnacle of technological development? Right. So You can't do that. Um, the idea that they have to live within our view I mean, I, I think that fails to really grasp the concept of how large the universe is. And I'd say if, if the universe is as hostile as the Earth is, then there would be some very strong reasons to hide yourself yeah. from view. You know? No, absolutely. Well, yeah, either hide yourself from view or, uh, you know, like I'm saying, maybe they're just farther beyond our telescope's capabilities. Sure. And we don't know that they don't have the ability to travel. Well, there's a few answers uh, a huge to, distance to like Fermi's that. paradox, I think. I mean, one is that there is some sort of uh, global government that is preventing uh, you know, greater species from interacting with, with mm -hmm. lesser technological species. You know, yeah. maybe there, there are some regulations that say, Hey, hands off on those earthlings, which, which I think is, uh, or are you talking about like a galactic government? Yeah. Like or, some kind of galactic yeah. federation. No, I can see that. I thought you were saying that, you know, perhaps our governments are keeping the existence. Well, that's, that's another and interesting I, solution for Fermi's paradox is that we have indeed found life and, mm -hmm. and been introduced to it. And it's just been hidden from us. Which I don't have a problem accepting that at all. And I will die on that hill that I don't even think that's that big of a conspiracy theory. Because I would like, you know, people to imagine what would have happened if we would have told 1950s America that there was aliens. Well, sure. Like, and you've we were got, already getting ready to nuke everything, man. <laughs> you've had a couple different people kind of come out on their deathbeds. I think there was a general or something who came out on his deathbed and said... You know, oh, UFOs were real. I was involved in the program and this, that, and the other. Haven't looked too far into it. Um, but, hell, recently the Pentagon released some UFO videos. Oh, yeah, yeah, from like the, the F-18s and that's stuff right. that they got. And, and that's and convincing as hell. Guys, that's in the description. Like, go watch that. This is yeah. The Pentagon released this video, and you can clearly see the pi fighter pilot's reaction to this. He's going, what the hell is going on? There's this yeah. object, and it just kind of flits off at, at like six times the speed of the of the fighter jets. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's no way that this thing... It is. It is definitely unidentified. It's yeah. definitely flying, and it's definitely an object. Perhaps. Perhaps I shouldn't, but I put all the faith in the world in the pilot sightings. Like whenever, uh, whenever we're talking about a military pilot or commercial aviation, they spot some because those dudes are used to looking at stuff up in the sky. And if they're like, "Hey, man, that's weird." Well, and this <laughs> you know video I mean? came from like the world's best sensor technology. Right. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, there's no question uh, about the authenticity of it. It was there. It did what it did. What the hell it was. Now, are you buying um, every story about, you know, Clarence getting probed down in the backwoods of Mississippi? I'd have to talk to Clarence face to face for that one. Yeah. He might be able to convince me, but off the top, my reaction is like, eh, 
Yeah, I mean, why why wouldn't yeah. there be copycats for stuff Although, like that too? I mean, with what we know about people, you know, at least some portion of it. I did is, see it. I did see a UFO once. Um, we were driving around doing what teenagers do, driving around in the country one night, and off to the left in a field of a horse farm, we saw like looked like airplane lights, like I don't know, three four in a row, and and this thing just took straight up straight up off the ground maybe, I don't know, 100, 200 feet in the air, flew over us, it was dead silent until it got over us and the, the sunroof was open. And when it got over us, you could hear it, like rushing. And it immediately went, it immediately shut up after it passed. It was weird as hell. Yeah. And, you know, we were doing what teenagers do. I was going to say, you guys were stone cold sober, right? <laughs> we were, yeah, yeah. yeah, we were stone cold sober, exactly. <laughs> um, but... I, you know, I'll never forget that, and and it kind of made me scratch my head. I, yeah. I kind of wish they had touched down and said hi, because honestly, like I'm I'm tired of just of the bullshit. You know, you got to yeah. think, man. There, there's got to be other life out there. Well, I don't, I don't know. There's that, got to. I be. don't know that they haven't touched down and said hi. And that's not kinda, to me though. I'm, 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 I'm feeling left out here. I mean, <laughs> well, if yeah. if old Billy Bob is getting probed, I'm, you know, I want at least a hello, well, a handshake. I mean, were you, is that were too you, much to ask? Were you driving like a foreign car or a domestic car? Let's see. That maybe, was uh, maybe, that was a Volvo. Well, see, they didn't Volvo. want to talk to you because they wanted you to buy American. <laughs> no, but <laughs> no, I think I think that's kind of it it harkens back a little bit to what I was trying to say with the, the global warming thing. Right. So no, I don't buy every single story that comes out about like aliens and stuff and that Elvis is in a spaceship and somebody <laughs> saw him, you know, but at the same time, like you said, I mean, there, there almost has to be life beyond us. You right. know what I mean? And, and to think that we are the most complex version of life in the universe is, is insane. And that's what, that's a little hubristic. Yeah. What, hap- what happens oftentimes with, with these things that are called conspiracy theories and everything. I got to stop you there because I have a real problem with the demonization of the term conspiracy theory. I mean, it's a travesty of truth and justice because throughout the history of the world, there have been successful conspiracies absolutely for various things over and over and over. Uh, conspiracy is a crime that we charge people with in the United States. It's something that exists, but this term has been leveled against people as just pointing pointing you as a crackpot you know right oh it's a conspiracy theory all of a sudden all conversation is shut down right. doesn't matter if it's about hillary's emails or the russiagate conspiracy the term is now being used against critical thinkers mm-hmm. and how dare you question the official narrative you yeah. know whether we're talking about 9-11 or, or whatever like yeah it's just used as a cudgel to shut people down well in the alien example the the cletus got probed brush is used to paint everybody who wants to talk about aliens that's right uh earlier on with the global warming the the wild cats that are out there saying there's no such thing as global warming if you question the global warming narrative at all or any facet of it then oh you're a denier yep you know i i'll give you a perfect case in point i feel very strongly about the kennedy assassination right (laughs) you don't say i feel very strongly we could do three whole episodes about the kennedy assassination but I believe that Oswald did not act alone. However, I don't have to tell you anything about Oswald or any of that other shit if I wanted to prove to you that there were conspiracies regarding Kennedy, like swirling around Kennedy at that time. Oh, yeah? Yeah, let me tell you about two little programs. One's called Operation Northwoods, and the other one's called Operation Mongoose. Operation Northwood uh, was basically a, a plan that was approved by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Now, Kennedy shut it down, but he approved this plan. and or I'm sorry, the Joint Chiefs approved this plan. Um, to do false flag operations against American civ- uh, civilians to give us a pretext to invade Cuba. Uh-huh. And that is, you know, to the, the idea that we've never done that, that like Operation Northwoods exists like by itself and alone. Oh, and all no, that we, we, the same we, type of thing happened to start the Korean War. Well, we absolutely did it in 1953 uh, during the uh, the coup that we formed in Iran. Uh, the CIA had people dress up as communists and uh, start, you know, bombing mosques and I think a few other things to to get that coup rolling, right? Um, so then you look at Operation Mongoose, which is they're they're very related and interwoven kind of. And uh, Kennedy did approve that one. Um, not every part of Operation Mongoose was put into implementation. But it also had false flag attacks in it. So I want you to think about that. He approved that. 
knowing that that stuff was in there. Now, Operation Mongoose was uh, basically our plan to kill Castro. Right. You know, that's that's what we were going for. So what you end up having is Kennedy is not wanting to go along with the Joint Chiefs, uh, you know, with this Castro thing. Like, he wants Castro out of the way, but at the same time, you know, he He's like, I'm not willing to go that far. Yeah, he wasn't He wasn't willing to go that far. So the the CIA ends up setting him up, Right. The CIA convinces Kennedy that they need to do this thing, the Bay of Pigs invasion. I'm sure you know yep. some people have heard of it. Some have. And basically, what it was was they were going to arm Cuban refugees, like uh, you know uh, Cuban exiles, to invade and take over Cuba. Now they present it to Kennedy, and they're like, "Here's what we're going to do." Kennedy's like, "Okay, but it has to be the Cuban exiles. Like, I don't really want to commit us to." you know, full on going into Cuba, you know, they're friends with the Soviet Union. I'm not trying to create like a big thing. So uh, we'll give them a little support, but you know, I don't want to commit us and stuff. Well, Alan Dulles said, who was the head of the CIA at that time and one of the most evil men in the history of the world, uh, feel free to look him up. Alan Dulles, they named a goddamn airport after him. It's D-U-L-L-E-S. Um, anyway, he said, that uh, they went ahead and went for it and lied to Kennedy because they thought for sure once they got the invasion, uh, the boots on the ground, the invasion going, that he would okay air support. Oof. The CIA and the Joint Chiefs knew that that operation would never succeed without air support and without a healthy backing from, you know, like the U.S. military. But they didn't tell the president that. When all those people get together and lie to the president to call, cause an invasion, what do you call that? That's a conspiracy. That is a conspiracy. <laughs> so am I kooky? Because I believe that, you know, you know, what I, I don't mean? know. Am I kooky because I believe in Bigfoot? Uh, yeah, you're a little kooky because you believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Have you not seen the video, man? The, the original video is, is convincing to me. And I've heard people say, oh, that's a that's a man in a gorilla suit. Man, is, it does not look like a man in a gorilla suit, especially not that long ago. I'm pretty sure that's a guy in Oh, man. I mean, you're talking Star Wars level special effects if that's a man in a gorilla suit. Yeah, well, what year did that video come out? Uh, I don't know, but I'm going to have to look that up. Maybe you, one oh, day. Oh, you're going you're gonna to do me like that? You're going to like jump? Well, man, don't. Okay, look. Don't jump on Google right now. How about uh, you feel that strongly about this? About I, I will defend Bigfoot to my dying day no i don't feel that strongly okay. but no i i think it's possible that that sasquatches are real and well i'll tell you what how about, hiding in our forests how sasquatches that's like the species of bigfoot right yeah but i did you did you say sasquatch or sasquatch sasquatch martin shkrelik <laughs> i'm getting closer every time no i'll tell you what how about you i i want to i want your best shot so you put together your your Bigfoot data, and okay. you come back at me next week, and you try to change my mind on oh. whether or not Bigfoot exists. How's so you don't sound? believe in Bigfoot? Is that what you're telling me? You're, no, you're a Bigfoot, Bigfoot denier. I am absolutely a Bigfoot denier. How many of you are out there? That's uh, what I want to know. Uh, there's a ton. I, in fact, I know some people who don't uh, deny That's Bigfoot. Deplorable. Uh, let's see. There's Miss Thompson's kindergarten class over at that one elementary school. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of burns, it is about time that we turn this bad boy over to the main man himself, world-class producer and fact-checker extraordinaire, Beanzo. Well, hellfire, boys. I gotta say, it felt like y'all were trolling me today. Never in all my days did I think I would get a show with climate denial, UFOs, and Bigfoot all packed in together. At first, I thought, hmm, maybe after so many weeks of talking about Trump playing mind games... The fellas are trying to outwit me in some sort of inaccuracy-laden 4D chess gambit. All my buddies can rest assured, though. After listening through that episode, I wouldn't bet on our hosts in a game of shoots and ladders against being supreme. Theory? Sense? For fuck's sake, it's Shkreli, and no amount of intentional extreme mispronunciations will convince me you're not terrified of saying Shkreli. Yeah, Shkreli. Sense? You said that the city of Lexington, Kentucky got upset with Spectrum after they hiked prices immediately following a merger and renewal of their franchise rights. I seem to recall that Spectrum promised to keep their local call center as part of the agreement, then promptly shipped the call center overseas after it was approved. Buddy, that's not a correction. It's just a point of clarification. And speaking of clarifications, it would be nice if you made one, since you claimed that you had never seen a UFO then immediately followed up with a story about seeing a UFO. Damn, boys. Can't imagine why them conspiracy theories get bad reps. Theory? 
You mislabeled the bet's limit, misconstrued the reasons for the Three Mile Island incident, and falsely said New Orleans is barely above sea level when it's not above it at all. Buddy, your commitment to shoddy journalism will make the Enquirer think twice, and my bank account salutes you for it. Before I go, I'd like to address two things specifically. Referencing another Star Trek fan, in my home, where I lay my head to sleep, where my dog plays with its toys. That's a low blow considering you fellas know I've seen every episode multiple times. If I couple that with the vicious and savage attack on me in the about page on senseandtheorypodcast.com, I see a pattern emerge. Fellas, expect to hear from my attorneys. Back to you. Yeah, we burned him pretty good on the website. But man, I'm telling you, I saw the email from the lawyer. He said we were straight. Oh, no, no, no. We're, we're ironclad. Let him come. Let him do his thing. But uh, I'll tell you what, he brings up a good point. Uh, we've made some changes at the website at sensenintheorypodcast.com. So if you guys get a chance, please stop by, uh, click the button, leave a review. And just, you know, in general, we want to hear from you. We, you know, we'd love to read your emails, maybe get some comments on Facebook. Tell us what you think of the episode. Tell us what you think of today's episode. Yeah, like uh, the fact that the courts tailored swift justice against Martin Screlly. Man, we, we already said her today, man. This is world-class producer and fact-checker extraordinaire Beanzo of the Sense and Theory Podcast. I want to thank you all for suffering through each show to hear the righteous takedowns I drop on the fellas. Please go like and review us on iTunes. It'll mean a lot to the guys, but more importantly, it'll help keep your old buddy Beanzo on the air. There's links to all our social media in the description, and feel free to tell the fellas how wrong they were at sensetheorypodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week to hear Sense and Theory get all up in they feels when I burn all their hard work down again. Beans are out.